This is Daryl Wood, host of Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show on Faith Talk 1500. First, let me say this show is your show. That's why no matter what I discuss or which guests I interview, your input is value. If it's in the news, on TV, or at the movies, whether political, social, economic, or whatever, at some point I'm talking about it on Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show, Monday through Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. on Faith Talk 1500. Thank you for listening to Embrace the Truth, the teaching and apologetics ministry of Abdu Murray. Abdu spent most of his life as a serious Muslim, but after examining the evidence for the gospel and struggling with the emotional price that would come with changing his entire worldview, Abdu committed his life to Jesus Christ. Since coming to the Christian faith, he's become an international apologist, author, and professor. He's dedicated to engaging non-Christians with the credibility of the gospel in ways that touch the heart and the mind, as well as equipping Christians to do the same. Support for this ministry comes from our listeners' generous gifts and donations. For more information, please call 888-84-TRUTH or visit our website at www.embracethetruth.org. Today, Abdu continues his conversation with Dr. Everett Piper, president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University on the fruit of ideas, the bondage of opinions, and the roles that they play in education today. Now, let's join the discussion. Tell us the story of Frankie. Okay. Frankie was actually a girl from your area. She came from a fairly upper-middle-class community. She was recruited to play soccer at my alma mater, Spring Harbor University. So here we've got an 18-year-old kid that's chosen to go to a Christian college to play soccer. Well, I was a, a dean of students then, and one of the things I did was teach the freshman orientation class, and basically the class that teaches kids how to survive during their first semester of college life. Mm-hmm. One of the things I wanted kids to do was to realize the value of a Christian liberal arts uh, philosophy, and I decided to use the movie Schindler's List to get them to start thinking about right and wrong, good mm-hmm. and evil. Sure. Now we all know what the movie Schindler's List is about. It's about the Holocaust. It's a very well it's very well done by Steven Spielberg and it is not entertaining. It's very hard to watch because of the graphic nature of the violence of the Nazis. Right. Exterminating the Jews. Sure. Well, I had my students write their obligatory five page paper summarizing the movie, but what I wanted them to do was to critique the message, to to critique the moral nihilism of the Nazi regime and what we as Christian learners should be doing about that. Frankie watched the movie. She obviously paid attention. She wrote, wrote a decent paper that summarized the movie well. But here's the kicker to this story. The very last sentence in her paper after she summarized the movie was this, quote unquote, who am I to judge the Germans? Mm. Now, that should cause all of the listeners that are paying attention to you right now on this program to just shiver. Absolutely. Because if we've raised up a generation of young leaders that can watch the Holocaust take place in front of their very eyes, watch Germans walk up to Jews and shoot them in the head, watch Germans truck uh, uh, Jewish people off in boxcars and the trains to the gates of Auschwitz and Dachau, If we can watch that and then after consuming it as entertainment, conclude nothing but, who am I to judge the Germans, we're in trouble. Yeah. Because there's no moral judgment of right or wrong any longer. Frankie had been taught in your schools, in your community, Mm -hmm. that she had no basis whatsoever in making a moral judgment. In fact, 
Abdu, I'm going to pick on your alma mater a little bit. Okay, go ahead. In your, in your 2001 course catalog at the University of Michigan, there is a course entitled The Ethics of Corporate Management. Mm -hmm. I'm great. I, you know, great. I'm glad U of M is teaching mm -hmm. ethics in corporate management. But the course description in that catalog says this, quote, this course does not deal with the personal moral issues of truthfulness and honesty, unquote. Wow. Now, what in the world are you teaching then? Yes. How can you teach ethics without acknowledging truthfulness and honesty? Right. What they're saying is that truthfulness and honesty are just personal moral constructs, and we have no right to judge another individual, another culture, another community on their ethics or their truthfulness or their honesty if it's different from our own, which is exactly what Frankie was concluding. Yeah. You can't judge the Germans. You can't judge the Nazis. They have the right to do what they want to do. That's uh, frightening. It is, it is staggering. In fact, when you read a description like that of a course like that, you see that it's actually more whole than cheese. I mean, what are you talking about if you're not talking about those things when you're talking about ethics? Um, the, uh, the thing that uh, uh, really sort of jumps out at me is the fact that on a purely secular naturalistic framework on a Darwinian paradigm, Frankie's not wrong in one sense. Yeah. Uh, she, 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 who is she to judge the Germans? She's one being. She's a she's a, a human being. She's ontologically no greater than uh, any other anybody else, including those very highly educated Germans in in, in the nineteen thirties and nineteen forties. Um, so who is she to judge them? Well, she, you know, nobody if there's no transcendent authority beyond herself. And so I think that 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 kind of a thing needs to be brought out as a example of why we do need these transcendent truths that are, in fact, absolute. And, and at the end of the day, Abdu, I don't want you to be the judge, mm -hmm. and I don't want me to be the judge. Mm -hmm. I don't want Frankie to be the judge, because you and Frankie, and myself included, are very dangerous if we elevate ourselves to the status of godlike judgment, because we're never going to be fair or just, and we will never, never tip the scales in the, in, in the direction of individual human responsibility and liberty, liberation, justice, and fairness, because only God can define those standards. Well, absolutely. Whenever we wrest control from God for the de definition of those things, again, history tells us we've got a very ugly existence. We've got the killing fields of Pol Pot rather than the freedom and the liberty that we've enjoyed in the United States because of grounding our judicial system and our constitution in a Judeo-Christian ethic. Well, what you do actually is you just oppose two ideas of the trains, you know, um, when I, I, when you mentioned it in your discussion about uh, Schindler's List about you know loading these these poor Jewish folks onto these boxcars onto these trains and they're going to the death camps, and so the destination matters. And then you juxtapose that uh, with um, uh, the Polar Express. A children's uh, children's movie. Uh, many people are familiar with this one, obviously, where it's the uh, the, the story that, that the kid who gets on the train, he doesn't know if he believes in Christmas or not, and this journey he's taking on this magical ride to the North Pole is supposed to talk about, you know, where do you get your beliefs from? How do you know what you know what what's true or not? Uh, if you could, just for the audience, I just love the way you compare the two things, the, the one train, the Polar Express, versus the train where it does matter where you're going in uh, Schindler's List as an example. Could you talk about that a little bit for us? Yeah. Well, it, basically, it was a Christmas story I wrote for the Tulsa World as well as a, a couple other periodicals mm -hmm. uh, where I told the story of uh, Polar Express, which is a great little movie. We, I watched it with my boys when they were growing up. and. Mm -hmm. It's a magical, as you described it, a magical Christmas Eve train ride to the North Pole. And then as the, 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 the train ride is over and all the kids have learned to believe again in Santa Claus and in Christmas, as you recall, the train is 
stopping, chugging through the community, door by door, and dropping the kids off at their respective homes. And the one little boy uh, steps down, uh, gets off the train, steps down into the snow, and Tom Hanks, the conductor, leans over to him as he is uh, finishing his train ride and getting ready to go into his house on Christmas morning. Tom Hanks leans over in the midst of the snow, and he says to him, You know, the thing about trains is this. It doesn't matter where they're going. What matters is just deciding to get on one. Mm-hmm. And everybody thinks that's a wonderful idea. Isn't it a beautiful lesson? It doesn't matter where the train is going. Just get on a train, any train, and enjoy the ride. It's not the destination that matters, right? It's just the journey. Enjoy the ride. Isn't mm-hmm. that a wonderful message? Mm-hmm. I ask that question. And then the next paragraph, I say, well, let's talk about another train. Imagine with, you, with me, if you will, this is a real train, not a fictional one. It's chugging across the Black Hills of Germany, and you can see the smoke billing from its stacks as it tows boxcars, not filled with animals, but with Jews. And this train is not bound for the glory and grandeur and the magic of the North Pole. It's bound for Auschwitz. Now, who among us would dare look those Jews in the eye as they step off that train and watch the furnaces billowing in the background at the gates of Auschwitz? It doesn't matter where this train's going. Just enjoy the ride. Get on any train. The destination doesn't matter. It's absurd. Of course it matters. Mm -hmm. Of course it matters. One is bound for beauty and fantasy and childlike joy, and the other is bound for hell and death and catastrophe. It does matter, and it's the same for ideas. Ideas will take you somewhere. Mm. They will take you to the beauty of heaven and salvation in Christ, or they will take you to a hellish existence here on earth when you live at, uh, at the consequences of your own sin as well as the consequences of somebody else's. Absolutely. Now, you, you had mentioned earlier in our conversation that when we jettison God, when we jettison these, these absolute truths, where we try to say, you know, the trains, where they're going doesn't matter just as long as you get on, and we have these kind of statements, um, you're talking about redefining things and how we can't be trusted to redefine things. And I think that's absolutely correct because we're not, we don't have an ontic referent when we do that. You talk about a lot about tolerance in, in your book, and I see, I, I see, and I think a lot of people have commented on this as well, that there is a redefining of what it means to be tolerant in a very dangerous way, I think. So talk to us about that. Well, our culture is really fond of taking lang- uh, words and twisting them and redefining them so that they mean something. We tell a lie to ourselves long enough about the new definition of a word, and we start believing that very lie. Wasn't it Goebbels that said, if you tell a lie big enough and long enough, sooner or later people will really believe it? Again, one of the principles of the Nazi regime. Mm -hmm. And likewise, we take the word liberal. Again, the title of my book. Mm -hmm. The left has co-opted it, twisted it, redefined it, so that now liberal means uh, anything and everything. It doesn't mean true liberty and liberation. In fact, it results in bondage, because any Anything and everything will result in anyone and everyone having power over those that they can oppress. So liberal has been flipped so that it almost means the exact opposite. We see the same thing with regard to sexual morality. Gay used to mean joy, fun, happiness, and innocence about it. Now, gay is synonymous with sexual licentiousness. In other words, you, uh, things that used to be considered harmful and unhealthy to the human body and culture are now considered gay i.e. happy and something to be celebrated. We've flipped the word. We do it with green. 
All of a sudden, green means that you have to believe in global warming defined in a very narrow frame that it's man-caused global warming, rather than trusting the fact that nature, as God has created, is probably bigger than us and can't really be controlled by us because we're not God. Mm-hmm. We flip these words all of the time, and politics, p- politicians are very fond of doing it. I'll, I'll summarize with this. Tolerance. What does tolerance really mean? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean acceptance. Tolerance and acceptance are not synonymous, Mm -hmm. but the left has twisted it, co-opted it, so that when they say, I'm intolerant, that somehow is an insult because I'm hateful as the result of that intolerance. Okay, I shouldn't tolerate certain things, Abdu, if they're harmful to you, my my children, your children, or our culture. Mm -hmm. Okay, and I certainly shouldn't have to accept them. They've conflated the definition of the two words, and that tolerance now is something that is synonymous with total acceptance. I could disagree with you, but yet tolerate you. I don't have to agree with every single thing a person says or does. Mm -hmm. And tolerance, as it's defined by the left, implies that total agreement is necessary at the same time as tolerance. Right. Yeah. And actually, actually now it's become even more synonymous, not with just agreement, but actual celebration. Of that, mm, yeah. of, of that opposite viewpoint. So you, I don't agree with you, but I, I'm celebrating your, I don't know what you're celebrating. You're celebrating their right to believe that opposite thing or you, their, their very, in many cases, harmful ways of looking at things or that even self-destructive. And that's not just that they're, that I don't agree with them because they hurt me. I don't agree with them because they hurt you. And somehow that's, you know, ironically not tolerated. Um, so I think that that's exactly what the kind of thing is that we're, um, we're, we're discussing here um, now. Speak to us a little bit about about, about this. How do we how do we understand uh, as Christians? How can we understand what it means to be tolerant of someone who 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 engages in a lifestyle or has a viewpoint that is the polar opposite of our viewpoints in many ways, um, uh, yet maintain that sort of we're not being we're not backing down in terms of the the substance of our beliefs, but we are being compassionate in terms of the method by, by which we engage you. Well, one of the things I, again, I don't know if I'm going the direction you want right now, Abdu, but one of the things that I've found helpful for me mm-hmm. is to stop arguing with people and start asking questions at mm-hmm. times. Yes. I, I, I think it's Jesus' style of apologetics, quite frankly. Yes. Uh, how, how many times in the Bible does Jesus uh, just simply ask a rhetorical question, and he seems to be relatively quiet, and he lets the people stew in the consequences of their own answer? Yeah. Uh, which one of you is without sin? Mm-hmm. But you, you can cast the first stone. Mm-hmm. But why do you call me Lord, Lord? Mm-hmm. Um, those types of questions seem to be directed at his, at his adversaries. And rather than arguing with them, uh, a man who obviously was the smartest in, person in the history of all creation, mm-hmm. he's God. Mm-hmm. So he clearly was able to win the debate if he wanted to. Right. But Jesus himself chose, rather than argue, to ask a rhetorical question of his adversaries, because he knew that the consequence of their idea was very bad, and all he had to do is open the door up for them to fall through. Yes. And I think we as Christians might be wise in doing the same thing at times. Hmm. In other words, if somebody is preaching tolerance to me, I might simply ask them, well, can you tolerate those you find intolerable? Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and just, be, just be quiet. Let them stew in the consequences of that broken idea. Yeah. And, and I know you guys really, really want to have hate crimes legislation. Uh, isn't, I just hate those hateful people, don't you? <laughs> Again, let them stew in the reality that this worldview doesn't work. Right. Someplace, sometime, there's going, to be ha- there's going to have to be a judge to decide what hate is, 
what tolerance is, what freedom is, what justice is. And I think the conservative agenda ironically can win. Well, I don't know if it's ironic. In reality, we can win the debate because we do have the answer of what justice really is. Uh, those, those that advocate social justice, I love talking to them. Because I'd like that. I just want to, okay, we're going to talk about justice, but who's going to define it? Mm-hmm. What is just? Who's going to be the judge? Can you have justice without a judge? Right. Can you have liberty without law? Um, these are questions I think we can win when we recognize or when our adversaries, when the, the, those who are left of center, those who are postmodern progressives, recognize that their ideas really are quite vacuous. They really don't have any any soul upon which they can build a successful argument. Yeah, and we can even use their desire um, uh, to have these kind of things, to have a justice. I mean, there's plenty of people who I disagree with who actually do believe in this, a sense of actual justice, whether it's, you know, quote-unquote social justice or whatever they're, they're talking about. They actually do want those things. But the question is, have they thought it through enough to exactly. actually know how it is they can have a foundation for those things? Now, I, I, ladies and gentlemen, I've been talking with Dr. Everett Piper. He's the author of uh, Why I'm a Liberal and Other Conservative Ideas, a book that I highly recommend you get. It's available on Amazon.com. Uh, please go out and get the book. It's a, it's a, it's a very pithy read. It's, it, it's extremely insightful. I highly recommend it. Again, Why I Am a Conservative and Other Liberal Ideas. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit, Dr. Piper. We have a, just a, about five or six minutes left. I do want to talk about some things, though. One is um, the philosophy of education that's happening over at Oklahoma Wesleyan University, the the, the university you're a president of. You described for us some of the four Ps um, uh, in terms of the educational model and in terms of the the mission. Um, Can you describe that for us? Absolutely. Um, I've had many people ask me why I left uh, Michigan Mm -hmm. to come down and take over as the president of a small Christian college in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. And my answer is really simple. I was sick and tired of being part of a college, Christian colleges that were more interested in the word college than they were the word Christian. Mm -hmm. In other words, I want integrity in the educational process. And if a college is going to claim Christian identity, then I believe it should stand on those principles without apology and wave the truth, wave the banner of the truth of Jesus Christ and the truth of Scripture without apology. Uh, call a spade a spade. I don't think anybody wants to buy vanilla ice cream. You can buy that on any corner if you do. But if you want a specific flavor, and that flavor is evangelical Christianity, a biblical worldview within the educational community, then you better be that because people are paying good money to get it. Yeah. And at Oklahoma Wesleyan, we've crafted a mission statement, and we build everything upon the four cornerstones of that mission statement. And each one of those cornerstones starts with the letter P, the primacy of Jesus Christ, the priority of Scripture, the pursuit of truth and the practice of wisdom, the primacy of Christ, Jesus is the Son of God, Mm. the priority of Scripture, Scripture is the Word of God, the pursuit of truth, truth is given by God, it is not made up by you or me. Again, I'm not going to give you a degree in opinions. I don't care what your opinion is at Oklahoma Wesleyan University, and you shouldn't care about mine. Truth is an objective reality. It's out there. Go get it. Obtain it. Own it. Protect it. It's an objective thing that you pursue. So the primacy of Christ, Jesus is the Son of God. The priority of Scripture, Scripture is the Word of God. The pursuit of truth, truth is given by God. And then the fourth cornerstone, the fourth P, is the practice of wisdom, the practice of holiness, the practice of sanctification, the practice of obedience, the practice of what you preach. 
We are integrationists. We don't believe in segregating head from heart, fact from faith, or belief from behavior. We integrate everything into a holistic reality, the body of Christ, where an integrated learner is a person of integrity mm. because you are actually behaving the way you claim to believe, the practice of wisdom. Oh, excellent. So it's, it's, it really is a holistic approach. From a Christian standpoint, we're taking some fundamental truths and we're saying, look, we're not compromising on these, but we also want to teach you that um, you've got to actually live out what it is, A, we're teaching you, and B, what you actually claim to believe. Well, the heart of the Wesleyan message, way back to John and Charles Wesley, was the methods Methodists, if you will, mm -hmm. the methods of holy living, a habitual, obedient life where you actually practice what you preach. And it's high time, I would argue, in our community here in the United States that the church step forward and say, we stand for the biblical worldview, the inerrancy of Scripture, and we're going to follow Christ without apology. That's good education. Now, at, now at uh, Oklahoma Wesleyan University, where you have that, that philosophy of, uh, of education, but we also don't want to necessarily stifle opinions. Well, I shouldn't say stifle opinions. I should say stifle the debate to get at the truth, because I think debate is a great crucible for getting at the truth. Um, there is room there for a, a discussion of things and to voice your voice your concerns and then, you know, together come and mold uh, and conform our views to the actual objective truth, right? Absolutely. In fact, there's more room. See, that's the point. There's mm -hmm. more liberty. There's more liberation. There's more freedom. Yeah. Uh, G.K. Chesterton once said, if you want to build a grand playground with all the toys and all the ball fields and all the stuff that your kids will enjoy, and your community is... Uh, resides on the top of a mesa with sheer cliffs around all four sides. If you want your children to, pray, to play freely on that playground, you better build a fence. Mm. Now, the moral there is this. Without the fence, they don't have freedom. They can't play on the playground. They can't enjoy it unless there's a fence to protect them from falling off the edges of the cliff. Right. So there is no freedom without fences. There is no liberty without law. And that's the paradox of discipline and freedom. At Oklahoma Wesleyan, you have more freedom to engage in good education and the pursuit of truth rather than what you would have at many non-Christian institutions which have already shut down the debate and they don't want to discuss given things. Well, that's great. Well, I, I recommend everyone take a look at if you're if you have a child if you have a child who's going to be going into into college or someone who's considering it, um, take a look at Oklahoma Wesleyan, Wesleyan University. What's the website, Dr. Piper? www.ok wu.edu okwu.edu and one of those one of those playgrounds <laughs> that okwu is actually establishing is the Josh McDowell Institute for Christian Apologetics is that right absolutely uh, and if you can in a minute and a half or so can you just tell us what that's about Okay, I'll go quick here. Josh McDowell has been gracious enough to lend us his name. I believe we're the only institution in the United States, if not the world, that will actually carry his name as the umbrella, the moniker for an institute in apologetics. So we are going to be offering a master's degree, a baccalaureate degree, continuing education credit for Christian high school faculty, as well as boot camps, if you will, for high school kids to pursue uh, a sound apologetic so that they can be prepared to give a defense for the faith that lies within. And we're going to be doing that through Josh McDowell Scholarship, as well as a stable of his um, 
uh, Abdu, I'm, I, I, I hope I'm not jumping uh, too far <laughs> ahead here, but I, I believe that you and I are going to come to terms, and you're going to be one of the uh, adjunct faculty within that institute so that your teaching will be of benefit to the kids, the faculty, and our students here at Oklahoma Wesleyan. Well, I'm looking forward to that myself, by the way. And so my, my I'm very honored to even been asked. Um, and... Uh, my guest has been Dr. Everett Piper. He is the author of a great book, again, Why I Am a Liberal and Other Conservative Ideas. He's the president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University, a school that I think everyone who's serious about their education must check out and give a careful consideration to. Dr. Piper, it's been a great pleasure to have you on the show. I hope we can do it again very soon. And uh, thank you so much for being with us today. Blessings to you, Abdu. Thank you. All righty. God bless you. Uh, again, thanks, Dr. Piper, for being on the show. Um, we're wrapping it up. That's uh, this edition of Embrace the Truth with Abdu Murray. I hope you found it enjoyable. Today, Abdu and Dr. Everett Piper explain the differences between justice and tolerance, opinions and ideas, and the roles that they play in the philosophy of education. We hope that you have a better understanding of how Jesus addressed these kinds of issues. Dear friends, this is Abdu Murray, and I'm excited to tell you about my brand new book from InterVarsity Press, Grand Central Question, Answering the Critical Concerns of the Major Worldviews. I'm equally excited to tell you that along with that book, we're offering some great free bonus materials for those who buy the book. No matter where you got it from, whether it's from our website, Amazon.com, a bookstore, or even if you got it as a gift, just go to GrandCentralQuestion.com, that's GrandCentralQuestion.com, and click on the free bonus content tab in the middle of the page. You'll be asked to provide your name, email address, and the date and place where you purchased the book. You don't need a receipt, and you don't need to provide us with any additional information. We'll send you an email with a link to access four free videos to go along with each section of the book, in which I give you additional, concise evidence for the credibility of the gospel. And those videos track the four sections of the book. And you'll get a link to a free downloadable study guide as well. That study guide is tailored for both individual and group studies, and there's a section for a single-session study or a multiple-session study that you can do over a course of weeks. These videos and resources are meant to help you absorb and later use the material in Grand Central Question, and I pray that they'll be a blessing to you. Thank you for tuning in to Embrace the Truth. We hope that this message has engaged your heart and mind. To learn more about Abdu and the Embrace the Truth team, please call us at 888-84-TRUTH or visit us online at www.embracethetruth.org. Sponsored by Embrace the Truth International.